Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please remain standing for our song of praise.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I invite you to be seated for the reading of Holy Scripture. Join me in reading from the 119th Psalm. We will read responsively from the bulletin. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore does my soul keep them. When your word goes forth, it gives light and understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and drew in my breath, for my delight was in your commandments. O look upon me and be merciful unto me, as you always do for those who love your name. Order my steps according to your word, and so shall no wickedness have dominion over me. O deliver me from those who deal wrongfully, and so shall I keep your commandments. Show the light of your countenance upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes gush out water because of those who do not keep your law. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant shall be healed. For I too am a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to this one, come, and he comes, and to this servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while the sons of the kingdom are thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he said to the centurion, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Matthew to record this moment in the life of Jesus, and we believe that these words not only had power in the day that Matthew wrote them, 
but they have power today because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this, your word now, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I want to come out of the fog that I feel I've been in for five months. I want to come out of that sense of disorientation and that sense of lostness that our world has been living within. I I want to get back in touch with reality. I want to see reality, what's really real. And in order to do that, I need to be active in my daily prayers. You see, we often don't think of prayer that way. We don't think of it as a window into reality, right? We think our window into reality comes from the 24-hour news cycle, from social media, or maybe from the worldview that's being bombarded upon us from the current series we're binge-watching on Netflix. We often think of prayer, in fact, as the alternative to reality. We think of it as unrealistic or an escape from reality. Perhaps that's why, on average, American Christians pray less than 10 minutes a day. And that, of course, is in comparison with the 44 minutes a day that we spend on average personal grooming. Maybe a little less during COVID sweatpants hours, but the point is the same. Eugene Peterson the translator of the message, the paraphrase of scripture, used to say that people who pray see the world differently. And what he meant by that was that people who pray actually see the world as it really is. They see reality. They see past the veil of all that is false and all that is passing away. Prayer is, in fact, an invitation to experience Reality, And we see that in our text today with the story of the centurion and his servant. As he comes to Jesus, it really is a prayer story. A man coming to Jesus with a request and that request being met. It's a prayer story. And here's what we see. If you turn with me in Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 is where the story begins. We get to unpack the reality that we experience as we enter into prayer. You see, first we see in the story that it is as we pray that we experience the reality of our creatureliness, that we are limited, that we are creatures, and we have needs. But not only do we experience the reality of our creatureliness, but we also experience the reality of our Christ, the King, the one who has the authority and the power to move and transform his world. But it is in prayer, not only that we experience the reality of our creatureliness and the reality of our Christ, but as we find in this story and as we find in our own prayer lives, it is as we pray that we discover the reality of our communion with God. See, first, we need to recognize that it is in prayer, it is as we pray that we experience the reality of our creatureliness. See, verse five of our text, we're told that the centurion comes appealing to Jesus. It means to ask, to beseech, 
Actually, it means to beg. He comes begging for something. He comes as a man in need. And specifically what he's in need for is that his servant, verse 6 tells us, is lying, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And that phrase, suffering terribly, actually translates as tormented. Or in Matthew chapter 14, storm-tossed. But even more so, you realize this man's need, the centurion's need as he comes, when you realize that in verse 6 and verse 8 and verse 13, when it says, my servant, that the word there, yes, can be translated servant or subordinate, but it's most often translated in Matthew as child. It may in fact be that the centurion is coming because his own child lies paralyzed at home, suffering terribly, tormented, storm-tossed. This strong, capable military leader is coming face-to-face with his creatureliness. He is powerless in the face of what is affecting his son. We struggle with creatureliness. We, we struggle with the idea that we're limited, that we're dependent. And I know that you struggle with it as much as I struggle with it because humanity has struggled with our creatureliness since Genesis chapter 3. Because it was in the garden where the serpent says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 to Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you will not die surely, but you will become like God. See, Adam and Eve's initial original sin was the pride to push away their creatureliness and try to become the creator, to try and become God. And we struggle with this every day. We live in a world that tells us that we can be strong and brave and in control for only a purchase away. We struggle with our creatureliness. I struggle with it. We were at the lake house on Thursday We'd rented a lake house for two and a half weeks. We got a break. Thank you for giving me and my family a break for two and a half weeks. And on Thursday, as we were packing up to come home, I bent down to pick something up and twisted in a funny way and completely threw out my back. And I mean, it was bad. I couldn't do anything. And I was coming face to face with my creatureliness, my dependency, my limits. And the worst part of it was for 48 hours, I had to ask my wife and four daughters for help. I had to get help out of chairs initially and out of bed. It was an awful experience because I was coming face to face with my limitations. But here's the thing. This is our reality. This is what it means to be human, to be a creature that is dependent And it's in our prayer lives. It's in the act of praying as we pour out our needs to God. Even as we pour out our confessions to God or our thanksgivings to God or our praises to God, in every one of those aspects of prayer, we're coming face to face with the reality of our dependency. We are not sufficient. We cannot just do it on our own. We're not God's. We're creatures. And sometimes, in fact, when we spend too long trying to deny our creatureliness, 
God has a way to remind us, like me throwing up my back. As C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasures, and he speaks in our conscience, and he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. As we pray, we are confronted with reality. I am a creature. And in prayer, in that daily act of prayer, in becoming face to face with the reality of my creatureliness, suddenly the words of Revelation chapter 317 become true for me. Where I think that I am rich and have prospered and need nothing, not realizing that I am wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I am a creature. And this is the reality that we experience as we pray. But not only as we pray do we experience the reality that we are creatures, but we experience the reality of our Christ, our King, the one who has the authority. If I don't have the ability to be in charge of the world, then I can come to the one who does have the authority, who is in charge. You see, the centurion must have heard something about Jesus. I mean, why would he come? Why would this pagan military leader come to Jesus if he hadn't heard something about him? He had heard something about this wandering rabbi who was performing miracles and saying the most amazing things. In fact, probably what he heard the most we find at the end of chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel, after the Sermon on the Mount, when the crowds say in verse 28 and 29, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That word authority, it's Matthew's favorite word to describe Jesus' ministry. Exousia. It means power. It means executive ability. It means kingly authority. It means the kind of authority that only the true king or Messiah or Christ could wield. In Daniel chapter 7, we find these words describing the authority of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one who is to come. And interestingly, this is the reason, one of the reasons that Jesus prefers throughout the Gospels to refer to himself as the Son of Man, because he's pointing to this passage about authority. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came before the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given exousia, authority dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His exousia, his authority, his dominion is an everlasting exousia, dominion, authority, which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It's because of this authority, this authority the centurion has heard about Jesus that he comes beseeching. This military leader, this strong, capable man who's a centurion, which means 
He has governance over a century. In other words, over a hundred soldiers or more. This man comes recognizing that Jesus has the authority that he doesn't have himself. And it's interesting what he says in verse six and verse eight, he ascribes rank to Jesus. He's a good military officer. He puts the rank right at the beginning. He calls Jesus Lord. Verse six, Lord, my servant is suffering. Lord, verse eight, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. He's assigning rank. You are Lord. You have the authority. You have the dominion. And so I come to you. And then he says something amazing in verse nine. And it's so amazing that Jesus marvels at it. Yes, Jesus is amazed to see this kind of faith. Where the man says in verse nine, for I am a man under authority. I tell this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes and I tell this servant to do this and he does it. In other words, he's ascribing to Jesus the kind of authority wherein he can speak a word over his creation and see it done. He's recognizing that he is not in charge. He is not able. He is powerless in this moment. And so he comes to the one who has the authority and the power. And as we pray, as we enter into prayer on a daily basis, moment by moment, we get to experience that same reality of his authority. Yes, we experience the reality of our creatureliness. We're in need. But we experience the reality of his strength and power and authority. And, and just as a side note, as a side note, authority here doesn't just mean ability. That Jesus has the ability to get things done. But authority properly means governance and rule and reign, and decision, and wisdom, which begins to answer the question as we come into prayer, beholding the reality of our Christ and his authority, it answers the question of the seemingly unanswered prayer question. You know, I've been praying to God for this. I've been coming to Jesus with his authority, and I, I don't see Jesus answering this prayer exactly the way I'd like to see him answer this prayer. You, you've never experienced that, have you? And here's the reality. That as St. John Chrysostom says in the prayer that ends evening and morning prayer in the Anglican prayer book, that as we offer all these prayers to God under his authority, we pray that he will answer them as may be best for us. That's surrender to his authority. That's us surrendering to his kingship as Christ. Or as the first book I ever read on prayer said, sometimes God, when we pray, says no. Sometimes God says slow. Sometimes God says grow. And sometimes God says go. That's the authority that we experience. The reality of the authority of the one who knows what is best for us. I remember when I was newly converted. I think I was a Christian for two months and I got dumped by this girl and I was destroyed. But I thought, hey, I'm a Christian now. I can pray about it. And so there I was in my parents' blue K car 
pouring my heart out before God on the side of the road. Oh, Lord, fix this. Oh, Lord, bring her back. And with tears and great lamentation and great fervency in prayer, I poured out my heart to God. And I'm so thankful that God said no to that prayer. Because about seven, eight months later, the Lord brought into my life a woman named Monica. That was the yes. He knows what is best for us. As we pray, we surrender to his authority because we know as creatures we don't have it. And that's the reality of our world. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, or we could say today, some trust in themselves. But our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. And that kind of trust doesn't happen just overnight. It's something that happens petition by petition, prayer after prayer, day after day, as we are soaked in the school of prayer. We experience more and more the reality, not just of our creatureliness, but of our Christ who has the authority. But not only that, as we pray, we experience the reality of our communion, our communion with God. You see, in verse 13, the centurion gets the prayer answered the way he wants it prayer, uh, answered. He, we're told that the, Jesus says to him, go, let it be done for you according to as you've believed. And at that very moment, his son was healed. But you know what's amazing in this story? That's not the biggest miracle. The biggest miracle in this story is not that the man gets the prayer answered the way he wants it answered. The greatest miracle in this story is that he has now been brought into a relationship with the living God. The greatest miracle is this pagan military overlord, part of the occupying forces over Israel, has been brought into a relationship with the living God who hears his prayers and answers. That's the miracle. Let me show what I mean. Verse six, what does the man say? The centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Or is that verse eight? Verse eight, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. This man recognizes his unworthiness to have this Jewish rabbi come under his roof. And Jesus is marveled by this, but then what Jesus says in verse 11 is incredible. He, he sort of pulls off to the side with his disciples and says, I want to tell you something amazing. Many will come from east and west. In other words, Gentiles, pagans, non-Israelites. Many will come from east and west and will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the ancient Near Eastern world, to recline at table is to be welcomed, to be accepted, to be embraced as family. And Jesus is saying privately as to his disciples in this moment, what's really happening here, folks, is you're getting a glimpse into what I'm really doing. I am preparing the way so that those who are so unworthy to even have me come under their roofs can now live eternally at the banquet table of the Lamb. This is the great miracle of relationship with God, of communion with God, of friendship with God, of sonship with God. And it's even more a miracle when we realize 
the cost, the cost to bring sinners to God's table. See, again, in verse 12, that little aside to the disciples, he says something that sounds kind of scary, and it is scary. He says, you know, in verse 11, many from east and west will come and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 12, while the sons of the kingdom are thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we go, ooh, that's one of those scary, terrifying judgment verses. And it is. The judgment of God righteously has been executed upon us. All of humanity. We are sinners. We are deserving nothing but condemnation. Until we realize that again, Jesus is hinting at something that's coming. You see, it's three times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses those scary words about the outer darkness. Cast into the outer darkness. Language of darkness and abandonment and condemnation. Chapter 8, chapter 22, and chapter 25. And we begin to realize at the end of the story why Jesus keeps talking like this. Because the judgment, yes, is rightly to come upon us. But we find at the end of the story that that judgment, in fact, doesn't fall on us. It falls on him. He's not talking about it falling on us. He's talking about himself. Because in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 46, we read that as Jesus hangs on the cross between the hour, the sixth hour and the ninth hour, darkness falls over the earth. And then he cries out of the ninth hour, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness Abandonment and condemnation is fulfilled in him. This is the cost. This is the price. Jesus is telling us already here in chapter 8 what's coming. This is how I bring sinners home. Sinners who are, yes, deserving judgment, I will take their condemnation on myself so that they can come home. The miracle, do you see it in our prayer lives? is not, the greatest miracle in our prayer lives is not our laundry list of prayers being answered the way we want them answered. The greatest miracle in our prayer lives is that we have communion with the living God. We who are far off, we who are sinners, we who have no business having Jesus even come under our roof, now we get to recline for eternity at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the most real thing in our world. Our communion with God. Reminds me of what I wrote in my eldest daughter's prayer journal yesterday. It was in a little inscription on the front cover. I gave her a new prayer journal. We passed a milestone in our family yesterday. My eldest daughter turned 18. She became an adult. If uh, throwing on my back didn't make me feel like I'm getting older, having an adult child definitely makes me feel like I'm getting older. And so for her birthday, I got her 18 gifts from her dad. 18 gifts that many of which were practical, kind of like, let's go out into the world, like you're heading out into the world, so I'm gonna get you a Swiss army knife was one of the gifts because everybody needs a Swiss army knife, right? But among the gifts was also a prayer journal. I bought her the exact same prayer journal I use, the same kind. Just feels right. It's the right size and shape. I'm very particular about my prayer journal. So I bought her one. And I thought, what am I going to write on the inside cover? 
And what's interesting is when you're a preacher and you've got children, it's this weird relationship where, you know, I look at my child and I hear my child reflecting back to me things that I've said in the pulpit because her entire life, daddy's been preacher. And on occasion, there's these glorious moments where your child will reflect back something that you commonly say in the pulpit. You go, oh, wow, that, that, that common phrase I use has stuck. And just a couple months ago, Annabelle reflected back one of those common phrases I often use about prayer from the pulpit. And I thought, oh, wow, that's stuck. And, and I realized that's what goes as the inscription in the journal. Because as my daughter goes out into the world, the reality that I want her to hold to, that I want her to experience every day is the reality of this communion with God that has been won for us. And so I wrote inside the prayer journal that phrase, the only one who can wake up the emperor at 3 a.m. is his child. That is the most real thing in the universe. All the rest is fading away. All the rest is for a time. But the reality of what Jesus has won for you and I in his sacrifice on the cross, relationship with God, friendship with God, that is the most real thing we know. And all we need to experience it is to pray. Are you in a fog? Are you disoriented or feeling that sense of lostness that our world has been swimming in for five months? Are you hungry to engage reality, to really see what's real? All you need do, O Christian, is pray. Pray. Not as a momentary escape from reality, but as the only way that we can truly engage and experience and embrace what's really real. Let us live in to the gift that Jesus has won for us. Experience reality, creatures who Know Christ the King who has all the authority and with that authority has won us eternal communion with God. This is what's real. This is how we live in the real world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to rise as we confess what we believe in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, 
begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please kneel for a time of prayer. Let us pray for the church and for the world, saying, Hear our prayer. For the peace of the whole world and for the well-being and unity of the people of God, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For Foley, our Archbishop, Todd, our Bishop, Paul, our Rector and Dean, and for all the clergy and people of our diocese and congregation, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all who proclaim the gospel at home and abroad, remembering especially our missionary partners in Rwanda, Archbishop Laurent, his clergy, congregations, and preschools, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted for their faith, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our nation, for those in authority, and for all in public service, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all those who are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all those who have departed this life in the certain hope of the resurrection, in thanksgiving let us pray. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will 
and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to rise. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let's share that peace with one another directly in our own families and indirectly with others. Well, good morning. My name is Jonathan Bales. I want to welcome you to Christ Church this morning. Um, if you are visiting with us today, just want to say we would love to get to know you. You have a little insert card. You can fill out some information for us um, and drop it off if you want to in one of these offering baskets as you come forward for communion. Um, or you can bring it back to us in the narthex. We would love to meet you in person, one of the clergy or staff, and talk to you. I do have one announcement, uh, which is simply really a reminder. You have page 15 on the back of your program. Tell us about some of the online opportunities for prayer and worship and study. And also, a reminder that today is the last day for the backpack drive that we are doing, gathering supplies and, and filling up backpacks um, for children in need. So if you brought a backpack, please Feel free to leave it with us today in the Narthex. We'll have containers for it. If you forgot your backpack, I'll just let that weigh on you for a minute. Um, and then you're more than welcome to bring it the 5 o'clock service, or you can just bring it by the ministry center during the week as well. You're welcome to do that um, so you can still participate. Now, as we do every week, I want to do birthday and anniversary blessings. So if today is your birthday, or if your birthday is in the coming week, I'd invite you to stand today or the coming week here is your birthday, please stand. And we will all pray the prayer of birthdays together, which is on page eight of your bulletin. Let's pray. Watch over your children, O Lord, as their days increase. Bless and guide them wherever they may be. Strengthen them when they stand. Comfort them when discouraged or sorrowful. Raise them up if they fall. And in their hearts, may your peace which passes understanding abide all the days of their lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Happy birthday. Now, couples, if you are celebrating your wedding anniversary either today or this coming week, please stand so we can pray a blessing on you. All right, and take one another's hands, face one another. Let's pray. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, bless, preserve, and keep you. The Lord mercifully with his favor look upon you. Fill you with all spiritual benediction and grace that you may faithfully live together in this life and in the age to come have life everlasting. Amen. Michael, you may kiss your bride. Congratulations. Now, as we prepare uh, to receive communion, I invite you to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. Please stand and join together in this preparatory hymn.
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, our duty and our joy, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. invite you to kneel as we continue in prayer. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself, and when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to all of them, saying, Drink this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, and we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, 
by him and with him and in him. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia! Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Come, beloved, all is ready.
We pray together our post-communion prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. We've already sung Charles Wesley's best hymn. Now we get to go out singing Charles Wesley's second best hymn. Love divine, all loves excelling. into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.